0: Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you. This week on New Mexico in Focus, are Albuquerque's new zoning rules a threat to some of the city's historic neighborhoods?
1: So if we really wanna be a city that cares and a city and we're one Albuquerque, I really would like to see us act like one Albuquerque. Plus,
0: Governor Lujan Grisham's tightrope walk between protecting the environment while still supporting the oil and gas industry. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. New Mexico got some good news this week about tourism. Even as some of our ski resorts saw their first snow of the winter season, visitors spent more money in our state in 2018 than ever before. Ahead this week, we'll take a look at what's behind that jump and break down efforts to keep the momentum going. THE CITY OF ALBUQUERQUE RECENTLY CHANGED ITS STRATEGY FOR PLANNING AND ZONING. THE GOAL WAS TO CREATE A MORE UNIFIED APPROACH AND ONE THAT KEPT THE REGULATORY BURDEN TO A MINIMUM WHILE OFFERING PROTECTIONS AND QUALITY ASSURANCE FOR NEIGHBORHOODS, BUT SOME COMMUNITY MEMBERS CLAIM THE NEW APPROACH IS ACTUALLY A THREAT TO THE VERY MAKEUP OF SOME OF THE CITY'S MOST UNIQUE AND HISTORIC NEIGHBORHOODS. PLUS, GOVERNOR MICHELLE LUJAN-GRISHAM IS ENDEAVORING TO DO THE NEAR-IMPOSSIBLE, MOVE OUR STATE BEYOND FOSSIL FUELS while also relying on the revenues from the oil and gas industry to fund major statewide projects and initiatives. The line panelists weigh in on how that's going so far. But up first, they look at Luhan Grisham's unique strategy for developing a plan for the upcoming 2020 legislative session. The governor broke with tradition recently by soliciting lawmakers' opinions on what issues and bills should be considered in the 30-day session upcoming. Now, these even-year shorter sessions are primarily designed to develop and finalize a budget, as you know, but the governor does have discretion to add other issues to the docket. Ms. Luhan Grisham has already said she plans to add legalizing cannabis to the agenda, as well as her proposal to offer free tuition to most college students and the creation of a permanent fund for early childhood education. That's a lot. Here to help us place odds on what makes the cut and what doesn't are this week's line opinion panelists all of them have signed up to research this week's topics and offer their informed opinions so first up we welcome line regular and attorney laura sanchez revay glad you're back here with us not traveling around the country <laughs> julianne grimm's here she's editor and publisher of the santa fe reporter joins us this week as well also with us line regular and principal of the garrity group that would be tom garrity and last, but certainly not least, our line regular and public health consultant Michael Bird is here. Thank you all for being here at the table. Now, many lawmakers say they have never been asked their opinions before a session, Julianne. And there's lots of ways to, to read into this. What's your initial take about why the governor is asking for solicitations this early?
2: I don't think there's anything wrong mm-hmm. with trying to figure out what people want and what their priorities are. Right. This has certainly happened in an informal way. You know, throughout all of time. Fair here. enough. Absolutely. So, um, getting those things written down. Um, I'm a little curious, as a journalist, are we going to be able to? Um, get those records, to review them? Is that something that's going to be available? I think it, based on what we know right now about what's on the forum, we should be able to get a look at those if, if mm-hmm. somebody wants to. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a good way for the governor to sort of figure out where the big fight would be mm-hmm. or where the consensus is. Um, you know, and I think there's a little, uh, some issues where it's obvious and, and some issues where it might be really helpful to find that out from a few legislators. Right.
0: Interesting point there, Michael. Um, She's moving the clock up a little bit about decision-making. No
3: prob- problem, no problem. That's an, it's an interesting tactic when you think about it. Well, mm-hmm. I, I think there's nothing wrong with trying something new. Mm. Um, just because it's never been done before doesn't mean it, she shouldn't try something. Mm-hmm. And I think people should be open to it. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, I mean, you can always go back to where you were before. That's a good point. So.
0: Do you find that the, the things I mentioned in the opening... Does it feel to you as too much in the thirty day? Is there a way to parse this down to get priorities sort of figured out? Uh, Because that feels like there's a lot of things she wants to try to do in this thirty day, and some of the legislators might not be able to move that quickly. Does she have to make a decision here?
3: I I, I would think so. I mean, she's clearly, you know, has an activist sort of approach, Mm -hmm. and so, but obviously she wants she wants to have people on board and make sure they're. They're, they're, on, they're endorsing her and um, her ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's nice to see that she's willing to have a conversation about what the legislators are mm-hmm. interested in and mm-hmm. want to see move as well.
0: For real. Tom, um, when you think about it, everyone's going to be on the team. If they choose to participate, mm-hmm. no one can claim to be disenfranchised. No one can claim to be not heard sure. beforehand. You see what I mean? There's an interesting tactic here. So the rural-urban divide, some folks feel in the rural, rural parks feel they don't have the governor's ear. Mm-hmm. Now you can have the governor's ear. Interesting tactic there. When you think yeah, about it. it is. Yeah, I mean, from a
4: strategy perspective, it's mm-hmm. quite fascinating because, you know, if you're a legislator, you know, you put down your ideas, but do you put down all of your ideas for the risk of having them potentially hijacked by the fourth floor mm-hmm. or used against you later on? <laughs> so is it a gift or that is it a Trojan horse? I don't know. I don't know. But So I, I think it's kind of of fun. You know, like yeah. Julianne had mentioned, I'd be very interested to see if these would fall under uh, IPRA uh, and if we'd be able to see who they would be able, you know, mm-hmm. what uh, different uh, legislators are wanting to do and mm-hmm. what, the, what they want
0: to accomplish. Let's cut back to uh, what I asked Michael about. we got cannabis on the table, early childhood on the table. Can she fit all those things in? Oh, well, that's really up to the
4: legislature. But, you yeah. know, she can make the call as because she wants. I think the big three are going to be pot, pensions, and PRC. Uh, so, you know, those mm. are the big three that I think that she'll want to be able to have addressed during the
0: session. Sure, absolutely. What's your sense of this? Uh, why, uh, first the why of the ask, and then what are the, the results or the upshot of doing well, it this way? Uh,
5: just to sort of circle back to the IPRA issue, uh, the legislature has, has definitely not, uh, they're exempt from IPRA.
2: And many, yeah, but once they give it ways. to the governor... That it becomes a little That's bit of a true. different game, so, but it depends mm-hmm.
5: how they give mm-hmm.
2: it to him, to the governor's office. So uh,
5: mm-hmm. you know, well, there's, there's well there's let's pick
2: that fight. That
5: <laughs> in any event, love it. Love it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm more, I'm more political strategist than journalist. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah. Does it work anyway, for you? I mean, everyone's going to be on the table. Uh, mm-hmm. I think another angle here is the governor might be trying to assess who wants to, who wants to show up, basically, versus just show right. up and and, and I blow really, with the wind. Yeah. You know?
5: I mean, I think it's really smart. I think it's yeah. smart to um have the conversation early um actually this is I know a lot of people think this is very early it's actually not that early because you really have to start developing these ideas and um you know figuring out who's you know who's gonna be your sponsor Mm -hmm. start and things get filed in December so you really Mm -hmm. you're talking about a couple of months not even a couple months a month at this point Mm -hmm. to really get that stuff down and Mm -hmm. so I think it's smart for her to reach out in a formal way Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that it's been happening for a long time informally I mean I Mm -hmm. I know that um, Governor Richardson did that through his staff um, and, you know, relationships that he had with the legislators. But this is definitely much a much more formal way of doing it, and I think it's it's good for her to get, especially with limited time in a 30-day session, right. to determine what kind of issues are out there and That's what right. she can put onto, onto the call. Right. Um, I do think I agree with Tom on those three issues. I think that um, among them, there are, uh, you know, I think that some of them probably have more momentum than others, mm-hmm. but those are definitely um, top issues. I mean, I think it's no different, though, than Martinez when she tried to, you know, bring in uh, third grade reading retention uh, and immigrants driver's licenses into a 30-day session. Good. Put so those were there. That's out right. there, you know, issues. Right. Um, and I think that the governor's office obviously has all of the, has a lot of the, the power to set the agenda, obviously right. for a 30-day session, so mm-hmm. um, it can be done. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends whether there's enough momentum.
0: Let me throw another uh, issue on the table, red flag laws, Julianne. You know, the idea that that's been floating around is a potential 30-day session topic point as well. And I ask under the idea, does, again, a budget session, there's lots to talk about in a budget session. Lots, especially the budget situation we have now. We have all this money flowing in, there's going to be lots of decisions about how to spend it. Can we really accommodate a, a conversation
2: about red flag laws? I mean, a- the the conversation that needs to be had, the next conversation about the red flag laws, is a it's a big one, and yeah. I think you know we just saw on July first, New Mexico had some new law go into effect about um, people who are seeking orders of protection in the court um, in domestic violence cases, there is now a due process that allows um, the courts to order the seizure of weapons for Mm -hmm. people who are accused of domestic violence crimes. And that is new for New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That is something that um, the sheriff's departments and the City police departments and the state police are still really trying to get a handle on how uh, they will handle it, the mechanics of all of that. Um, Santa Fe Reporter just did a story where we were able to get lots of information from Santa Fe County Sheriff about it, Mm -hmm. but we've really gotten now conflicting information from the city police department about whether they're even complying with the law or not as it stands. Mm -hmm. So that's all to say that contemplating a 30-day session in which we would again change the gun laws um, and And given the opposition to all that, I just don't see that that's one that's really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, likely to, if it does end up um, on the session, I don't see it likely to really go anywhere this time around.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, too. I I don't think you'd be alone on that. I've heard that from other folks, too. Let me go back to the cannabis situation, Michael. Again, we've had the governor formed a task force to go around the state and get some feedback, law enforcement, citizenry, all that kind of stuff about putting a proposal together. The governor likes It looks like she's going to kind of, Push this thing through. My sense is this is going to be a bit of a discussion about this. This is not exactly a slam dunk. So I ask again, you know, at the risk of the budget being not fully discussed, are we, are we giving up something by talking about these issues during this 30 day session and can cannabis actually work in this capacity?
3: Well, I think there's a lot of loose ends still yeah. to, in terms of just the whole proposal and the way that it needs to, I mean, I mean, at least from what I see in the paper, there's somebody always bringing up a new, new issue or a new concern. Um, so I, it'll be—it it remains to be seen how what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yep. Gene, I think
2: Please. it's really smart that they are, though, talking about starting that bill in the Senate this time around. Ah. We sort of know that the House has this inclination. The House is likely to pass the thing again, right. but the Senate is where it's going to get hung up again. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good for the people of New Mexico, let's not churn this through the House for the 30-day session only to have it die in the Senate. Right. Let's see how the Senate feels about it this time and then go from there. That's a key um,
0: distinction. Thank you for bringing that in. That actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, just swing into the budget here real quick before a little bit of time we have left here. Um, the idea that Schools, you might have seen in the paper, schools are now under question about how they're using their money for, that they've received as part of the moonshot uh, going on here. Laura, I'll turn to you on this. Um, is that going to be a problematic part of the conversation in this bu- upcoming session, do you seem? Do you think? I
5: think it, it will absolutely have to be part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that is a concern um, in terms of being able to utilize that, those additional funds appropriately, right. um, efficiently. And um, the other issue, too, is the Yazzie case that's still mm-hmm. ongoing. Um, and, right. and the plaintiffs there filed a motion this week um, dealing with that, asking the judge to you know, reopen this, to, um, to basically force the, the government to do something about it, the mm-hmm. state to do something about this. Um, and, and, and really, I think a lot of critics um, and people on the plaintiff side of that case feel that not enough has been done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were obviously increases in teacher salaries, which mm-hmm. were, were sorely needed, There was increases in budgets but did it specifically target the groups that were the plaintiffs in that case, Mm -hmm. which are um, at-risk populations, Mm -hmm. um, Native Americans, Hispanic, uh, students with disabilities, very vulnerable populations, that really need those additional resources, and so it sounds like even though there was additional funding, mm-hmm. the details of how they actually right. got used right. did right. not get fleshed out, and that needs to be part of the conversation.
0: And we talked about that at this table, as a matter of fact, when that money's those yes. monies, didn't we though? Yes, you were we here, did. exactly. Yes, You're we right. Did. We got about a bit and a half, or a little bit less than that, on this. Go ahead and pick up on that as well. That that's going to be impactful in this budget conversation, isn't it? It just seems to me that we took this early shot. Now we're sort of backing up a little bit, saying, okay, hang on, we need to get some some clarity
3: <laughs> here. So. Well, it's clear that. But uh, given the plaintiffs, and, I mean, um, that, that it is an issue, they don't feel like the plan is addressing those populations mm-hmm. adequately. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, it's, it's, not, it's not finished. Mm. Good
0: point. That's all the time we have on that one. But first, but uh, rest assured, <laughs> we'll be talking more about that as we get closer to the 2020 session. Now, okay. still ahead of this week, encouraging economic development here in Albuquerque while still protecting our historic neighborhoods.
6: I don't think anyone is against economic development. All of us have been wanting. It's about our communities um, from Wells Park to Martinez Town to San Jose to South Broadway are seeing the least amount of investment from an infrastructure perspective, right? And we're seeing the least amount of protections.
0: Welcome back to The Line, 2018 was a banner year for tourism here in New Mexico. According to the tourism department secretary, visitors to the land of enchantment spent a record $7.1 billion here last year, that's a jump of 7%. But what's behind that increase? Some suggest a new focus on year-round tourist possibilities here in our state, and a focus on some of the lesser-known attractions and opportunities. And Tom, that maybe all be true by our, all our accounts. Our marquee event, Balloon Fiesta, was also faring pretty okay. How'd you, how'd you guys work out this year? It was a great
4: event. Okay, uh, you know we had uh, a lot of great days of flying. Uh, we got blown out on Thursday on some of the events, mm-hmm. uh, some weather impacts, but overall just down slightly. Last year it was uh, 888,000 people or guest estimated guest visits. Uh, this wow. year we were right at 886. Okay, so uh, you know not not too much of a drastic difference, but right. uh, but anyway, you know, what the numbers that I think everybody should be really focused on are basically what are the lodging, you know, oh. when, the, in the city of Albuquerque, Santa Fe, um, what are their lodgers tax receipts like for the month of October? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that, then you'll start to see, you know, what were the admissions like in the gates at the different museums mm-hmm. and, uh, and such. So, uh, but it was a great event. It's a, it's a marquee event for the state mm-hmm. and uh, something that gets people out and about around New Mexico.
0: So from your point of view, Being connected with balloon, when you look over the entire state and our tourism, in the bump you see, what do you? Attributed to is it one thing in your mind's eye or is it just a combination of a lot of things? You know, or? it's probably a combination of a lot of things. You know, yeah. uh, finally the industry has
4: something to rally around with New Mexico True, which nice. you know started you know under the Martinez administration, mm-hmm. uh, Secretary Shoyer uh, provided very compelling case study to uh, Economic Forum, uh, where basically she made the case of basically saying you know tourism is an industry but it's much larger than tourism. It really has a way to generate economic development on a larger statewide basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of folks in the tourism industry have looked at tourism as saying, oh, that's the first date. And that, that will get them back to the state yes, to hopefully right. uh, you know, come and relocate their business. So uh, I, I like the larger vision, but, uh, yep. and I like the fact that the Secretary is not abandoning a successful
0: New Mexico True program. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm interested, Laura, in your idea about, I hear a lot from uh, counties and other folks out there. A lot of the tourism focus tends to be northern New Mexico, a lot of skiing, mountains, makes sense, Santa Fe and Albuquerque, but in southern parts of the state, they don't get a lot of juice when it comes to tourism dollars. Is that a fair assessment? And my second part of that, they want some more control about how those monies get spent. Um, I Mm -hmm. think
5: that's probably fair. I think that um, certainly when I travel, people always think of Santa Fe, And they think of Taos. I get questions a lot about Santa Fe and Taos, um, Albuquerque. Everybody knows about, Mm -hmm. Um, but but very little about southern New Mexico. So I do think that there's um, an issue there Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to publicize. I mean, we have there's great um, areas to visit down there. A lot of Mm -hmm. things to do. Um, You know, when I was at the New Mexico Green Chamber of Commerce, we worked a lot on doing um, doing work around the outdoor recreation economy. And so we also, as part of that, worked on the uh, Oregon Mountains Desert Peaks um, Mm. National Monument down there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was right after the uh, Rio Grande del Norte National Monument um, in Taos and and Rio Arriba had been been created. So this new one down south uh, created a little bit of a bump, I think, in some outdoor recreation. um, Mm -hmm. uh, But I think there needs to be, I think, more resources put into it um, at, at the statewide level. Um, to try to make sure that people understand that, you know, when you're coming up here, uh, when you're coming into New Mexico, take a trip down i mm-hmm. uh, 25, mm-hmm. go check out Las Cruces, go check out the Oregon Mountains. Um, White Sands, I think, is definitely an area that a lot of people um, uh, appreciate and like to uh, um, to go to. Just it's an amazing area. So,
0: mm-hmm.
5: um, But I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I hope that we can come up with a more statewide mm-hmm.
0: approach to mm-hmm. tourism dollars. Exactly right. Michael, it goes without saying, and this is always tricky to sort of ask and put out there, but our Native American culture, our Native American population is a big part of our tourism here. Do, are Native Americans receiving some of the largesse here from all these tourist dollars? How much of that 7.1 billion is getting in
3: pockets of Native American folks around our state? Well, that, that's, I think I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to see uh, somebody respond to that, that question myself. Um, the, the you know the bottom line is historically if you if we look, when we look back historically in terms of the railroad and a, a big driver in the past historically has been native culture native traditions native festivals and and it continues to still uh, be a draw if you look at indian market with 150,000 Tourists come in for that for a two-day mm-hmm. event. Uh, many of them international tourists, not just mm-hmm. domestic. Um, and then when we look at the gathering of nations mm-hmm. here in Albuquerque, also um, not just a domestic uh, uh, program, but draws international right. participants. Uh, largest largest powwow in, in the Americas. Um, so so I would hope. I guess my 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 concern and hope would be that in whatever the state is doing or whatever the Chamber of Commerce is doing or whatever these individuals, that there is some conversation going on already. And if not, then there needs to be a conversation Mm -hmm. with everyone, I think, at the table, be it Mm -hmm. somebody from the South, Mm -hmm. be it the Hispanic community, be it the Native American community. I think the more people that are on board... And, and understand what the objective is and and are and and that all parties benefit in mm-hmm. some form or fashion mm-hmm. um, I think will will increase the success uh, and 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 potentially build uh, some infrastructure in all of the communities because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people I think um, um New Mexico, you know it's in many ways. We talk about the issues of disparities and and, all, and many of the negatives, but when it comes to culture, tradition, language, culinary, New Mexico's got it, and, and the landscape right. as well, and That's we right. need to really uh, focus on that, but make sure that everybody's benefiting.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, Julianne, Michael, just anticipated a question I had for you. It's almost like this in lieu of, and that is crime obviously is a big issue that we worry is going out to the rest of the world in our reputation. Crime, crime, crime all the time. But it's not stopping people from coming here and spending money is it?
2: Just crime everywhere. Yeah,
0: that's right. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? I
2: mean, yeah. I
0: like the way you put that.
2: (laughs) I think it's you know, wherever you live, you're going to feel the sting or it's going to feel a little close to home. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are certainly all feeling the sting of the challenges in Albuquerque and um, people in Santa Fe kind of like to do this, well, we're not them thing, but um, we're going to have a a story in a couple of weeks here, I think, that will um, enlighten everybody a little bit about some of the crime trends that we're seeing, that crime, the violent crime is going up in Santa Fe as well. So one of the things I think is noteworthy about this discussion is that um, it's not just the tourism department and the New Mexico True campaign that's really responsible for and working for um, visitors and for other kinds of development in our state. Mm -hmm. So like the new Office of of Outdoor Mm -hmm. Recreation It's actually parked in economic development. Mm -hmm. You know, then you've also got the Department of Cultural Affairs, which has not just the state museum system, but all of these historic sites. And there's some of these smaller sites in rural parts of the state that don't get as much sort of love. They're not the bandolier. They're not the balloon um, fiesta. But, you know, going to Fort Union um, Mm -hmm. is also really fun. You know, catching a ride on the Cumbres and Toltec um, Mm -hmm. coming up. They're going to have their big, you know, Santa Claus thing coming. All those little...
5: Duck Races. There you go.
2: Yeah. International events.
5: Third weekend in August.
0: Okay. (laughs) There There we go. They all
2: kind of come together. They they build on the edges of these big things that happen. um, And I think that that's responsible for some of this change Mm -hmm. that's been recorded.
0: You know, Julianne makes a good point here, Tom, and that is, uh, you know, it's hard to develop things that are like so general they'll appeal to everyone. It's not how the world works. If you think about maybe even the Lowrider Museum in Española, Mm -hmm. right? a really interesting idea. I mean, why not have lots and lots and lots of very targeted little things that every community can ha- can highlight? That seems to be an interesting way to go, you know? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm.
4: the successful destinations are authentic destinations. Ah, and, nice. uh, you know, when, we, when you look at the Lowrider Museum, it's authentic to right. the community. That's right. And it, what a wonderful story to tell because when you actually go out to, you know, anybody who's traveled in or out of, Uh, the Albuquerque Sunport, has actually had a chance to experience part of the lowrider culture. have an exhibit uh, right now. Yeah, people are always taking pictures, selfies with them and stuff, so uh, yeah, so authentic Communications, authentic representations of communities, uh, and even the quirky. You know, as uh, as Laura mentioned, you know, the Deming duck race, uh, and Roswell, the Roswell UFO encounters. You know, ducks aren't the first thing I think of when I think of Deming, but now they are, and aliens definitely not Roswell. Well, yeah, and Laura,
1: Laura Sanchez Uh, (laughs) Rivera, I
0: love it. Well, shopping. You know, one of the breakouts here is shopping and retail had a one point two billion dollar hit with this. So we're talking, again, Julianne made the point, too, it's not just about people flying in and going out. This is critical for people that own mom-and-pop stores, right. mm-hmm. restaurants, all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing it's when you huge. think about it. I mean, it, yeah. means,
5: it means so much for them to be able to plan year-round That's when right. you get a bump that That's then right. helps you, you know, weather those other times that there's, there's a downtime. And mm-hmm. so for any business, small business, if they're able to capitalize on you mm-hmm. know, visitors for the Balloon Fiesta or other local events that are happening, I mean, it really makes the difference in terms of making or breaking their business. That's right.
0: Are we, I haven't skied Julianne in like 30 years. I mean, I don't dislike skiing. I just haven't done it. Are are, are we seeing some sort of rebound in your, uh,
2: well, last season was spectacular. Okay. The season before was, you know, the famous you're on the lift and you see more dirt than snow (laughs) under your skis. But last season was wonderful. Um, I'm not really a great um, meteorologist kind of, um, predictor in that way but I think certainly people are hoping for another good right. snow season. I mean we've seen um, Towski Valley made some big investments in the last couple of years in yep. modernizing and you know making things fancy up there so I think people mm-hmm. in northern New Mexico are really hoping for good snow this year.
0: Cool important for our state, too, the snow stuff. You can find out much more about the tourism boom on our website, NewMexicoInFocus.org, And be sure to check in with the show and offer your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube pages, of course. Up there right now, you can hear the line panel's reactions to the news that Maggie Toulouse-Oliver is dropping out of the U.S. Senate race and endorsing her opponent, Congressman Ben Ray Lujan.
5: You know, I'm not surprised that she threw her endorsement behind Ben Ray. Um, We're all part of a a, a group of of very connected um, people that have been friends for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so um, it it was sort of like breaking up the family when they were running against each other. So now we're reuniting the family.
0: When the city of Albuquerque completely revamped its zoning rules a few years ago, it was praised for getting rid of a complicated system that residents have complained about for years. The new system was supposed to be easier for everyone to understand, more efficient and conducive to spurring economic development. But folks who live in the historic neighborhoods that ring the downtown core say they fear the new code will destroy the charm and character they love. And the concerns don't end there. As correspondent Gwyneth Dolan learned when she sat down with representatives from the Historic Neighborhoods Alliance.
7: I am here today with a group of folks from the Historic Neighborhood Alliance, Neighborhoods Alliance. Thank you all for being with us. Diana dorn Johnson, I want to start with you. You're concerned that the city, in trying to simplify some regulations and spur economic development, has moved forward with a new zoning code that isn't fair to people in these historic neighborhoods. Uh, the city says they just wanna make things better. How are, do you think they could actually make things worse?
1: They could make things worse, I think it's two issues. One is the city having uh, changing the zoning code in a way that will impact our neighborhoods and probably not the best of ways. But the biggest issue is If the city continues to go down the path of not including the community in these major decisions like the independent uh, ordinance, uh, the new zoning codes, like the ART project, then we're not headed in a good place as our city chooses to grow and to bring young people here, retain young people, and keep the residents in in the area that have been in the neighborhood historically. So we're very concerned about just inclusion or lack of it.
7: And, you know, you mentioned things could go badly. One of the uh, elements of the new zoning plan would allow for high-density housing in neighborhoods like the South, Val- uh, the South Broadway neighborhood where you live. What would change in your neighborhood if high-density housing, I mean, like, that's apartments, what, if, what would change if that were allowed?
1: Well, it's about home ownership in that, re- in that regard and then the responsibility that one takes for one's property. Uh, I use an example... Um, Over 25 years ago, the South Broadway neighborhood won National Neighborhood of the Year, and we were addressing crime prevention, actually open-air drug dealing. And we were being pretty successful at it because it was a resident-driven process. At the same time, other neighborhoods, particularly I would say the Trumbull La Mesa area, now the International District. They were doing the same thing, and what they found to be very different in terms of outcomes is they had high density development in their neighborhood. There was a lack of sense of pride of ownership because these units were owned by absentee landlords. It made a difference when you have landlords, when when the landlords live in the neighborhood, when people own their property, or they've been long time renters, for example. So in South Broadway, you have like maybe 50% ownership, 50% rental. It's about the housing stock. It is single-family dwelling. There's, there's very little high-density units that are over 12 units of, of apartment buildings. So it's easier to have responsible parties uh, working with you as you're trying to address issues of crime and trying to develop your neighborhood.
7: So you're saying in these, you know, that that the kind of high density uh, you're talking about means people who are in these apartments for not as long as folks who maybe rent houses or bigger apartments, and so they're literally and figuratively less invested in the neighborhood how, how would that change the character of the place where you grew up well
1: when you're in, when you live in a place and you have a sense of ownership or a sense of belonging because I don't really want to stress ownership there's okay for people to be rental mm-hmm. housing is housing and so shelter is shelter and that's important but if you're living in a uh, 12-story unit or even a 6-story unit where there's uh, no way in which the communi- you can come together as a community and build community around that and build neighbors and be connected to your other to other neighbors it makes a difference so it's about the kind of housing one puts in the neighborhood our neighborhood has a lot of opportunities and all of our neighborhoods have a lot of opportunities for infill mm-hmm. vacant lots for single family smaller duplexes fourplexes have been that we would like to have developed i 'm not sure that's the idea that we have in our neighbor that the the new zoning code has for us. I think it's higher density, and um, it's going to make a difference in how we communicate among ourselves and how we organize ourselves as neighborhoods
6: and I just want to interject real quick. I think it 's about who um, who benefits and who doesn't right because if you look at a lot of the affordable housing that they 've done recently, the city, um, you know um, mfa's policy. Um, for the federal tax credits that a lot of the developers get is based on cost containment. So I interpret that in terms of regular people's language how many poor people can we squeeze into the smallest amount of space so we can maximize our prof- our profits? So at the end of the day, who's really benefiting? The developers are the ones who are benefiting, right? So, um, and, and if you look at New Mexico and specifically Bernalillo County and the city of Albuquerque, uh, people always talk about the negative socioeconomic indicators, but no one ever talks about our positive socioeconomic indicators. For example, um, home ownership, right? Because of the concept of land tenure, we as New Mexicans have high home ownership rates. And that's important when we're talking about asset building and wealth creation, right? So that's some of our concerns with a lot of this affordable housing that really, at the end of the day, if you really talk to people who live in some of those apartments, it really isn't even really affordable for them.
7: Bianca, I was going to ask you, because you live in Wells Park, Mm -hmm. and we've seen some of this infill that Diana's been talking about. We've seen a lot of change in that neighborhood in the past 10 years. What do you think is going right with changes in Wells Park? Recently, So, my husband and I, we purchased
6: our home 13 years ago, um, and we were very uh, specific about where we wanted to live, in terms of what street, um, because we were gonna have kids, which we do, we have two little ones, right? And when we moved into the neighborhood, fortunately, um, many of our active um, neighbors who've lived there for generations developed the Wells Park and Sawmill community sector development plan, right? And so that was 20 years ago. And what you see today, what our neighbors had envisioned, what our elders had envisioned within Sawmill and Wells Park is what you see today on Mountain Road. You see the revitalization of economic development of small mom and pop owned businesses, the Golden Crown Panaderia, Cocina Azul, you look at Sawmill, all of that was the vision of our communities coming together and identifying what they wanted. So the sector plans were the only opportunity for our neighborhoods to really engage of what type of economic development and community development they wanted to see. So that's where you see all the beautiful things that are happening within Wallace Park and Sawmill. But unfortunately, when the city decided to write the zoning codes, they said that there was too many sector plans and it was confusing so we're going to do with the sector do away with the sector plans and we're going to decide which policies and zoning we're going to incorporate into the idl you
7: think they threw out the baby with the Yes. water yes <laughs> <laughs>
1: the plans happen to be the only resident driven planning document
7: yeah and it so It incorporates to, it, the people who live there. So basically, it when,
1: when you eliminate it, you eliminate the voice of the community, yeah. the neighborhoods.
7: Loretta, I wanted to ask you, you're from uh, Martinez town there yes. on the other side of uh, downtown. You know, we've seen a lot of change along Mountain Road in those areas, and then south of there in the Country Club neighborhood, just over the past few years, all of these new shops, and pizza place, and you can get beer and, and uh, you know, all this stuff. It has really changed the face of that part of Central Avenue we haven't seen that much change like that on the east side of downtown Uh, is what would you like to see in your neighborhood is it going to look like mountain road Do you want it to look more like uh... the country club neighborhood what do you want we want to keep the character
8: of our area the small single-family dwellings Uh, we want to to continue to support the institutions that are already existing, that we've already invested in, we have millions of dollars in our uh, schools, uh, Longfellow, uh, uh, Albuquerque High. We've put a lot of money into them, and they're struggling to have. I, I talked to the principal at Longfellow to keep um, enough children in the schools, and so it's 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 a, so that's what we want to uh, see that more housing is built. Uh, I participated with Greater Albuquerque Housing Partnership to provide single-family uh, housing at High and Cordero, and the students from UNM looked at the area and um, designed the homes so that they would blend in with the character of the neighborhood. Uh, you'll see that in Edo, they don't blend in with the single-family dwellings that are there. They're out of character and so we want to make sure they're in character and we want to make sure that there's families that are living there
7: a lot of those houses in edo and heading down towards south broadway are you just this victorian railroad era stuff but martinez town has a different character it's it's older in many ways right how would you describe that area for people who haven't haven't been there between downtown and the freeway you know along lomas and um know. i It it was, uh,
8: my mom is Martinez, so it's named after her family. So we have sixth generation living there. I own the home where my dad was born in the house, so there's a lot of history there. Um, uh, Every year we celebrate the fiesta for San Ignacio. So people come from all over and say, I used to live in Martinez town. This is where I lived, and talk about how this was a special place for them. And then this Thursday, we've been celebrating for 13 years, having a trick-or-treat Halloween event. So the walk from San Ignacio, which has been an institution, it's already 103 years old, to Second Presbyterian Church that's been there for, like I think, 150. I forget how long they've been there. Um, And so we connect with both churches and have the children do a safe walk. And that started off from... 50 years of dealing with flooding that we decided, what are we gonna do positive in the neighborhood? And we've continued that tradition.
6: I just want to interject for a minute, too, and I think the the topic of the discussion, too, is that Martinez Town hasn't even been afforded the chance to kind of envision what they would like to see for economic development. Because since the 1950s, the city of Albuquerque has inappropriately zoned them, right? You had this historic community with aceques running through it, these beautiful family members who were living there, and then the city came in and um, zoned them for industry and light manufacturing, which totally changed and displaced a lot of people, which totally changed the dynamic. There's no more sequias there. Um, You see a lot of light manufacturing and industry that's taking over that community. So they've been so busy over the many years fighting the city of Albuquerque in terms of uh, being treated differently based on being a working class community and mostly a Chicano Hispanic community that they haven't even had the time. To envision what they would like to see, right, and that's one of the issues with the IDO and with the comprehensive plan.
1: They haven't had a chance what? to do the, the the sector development planning right. yeah. that that they should do, and that, that's a shame because they're the oldest, one of the oldest neighborhoods in this entire state. Robert,
9: they're still waiting for their sector development plan. So I think, like, to go back to the IDO, the the, the zoning codes, like, there's a there's a long history of displacement. We, 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 the Westgate neighborhood is actually a very good example of right. how that happened with urban renewal in the 70s. So in a lot of ways the new zoning codes are really um, kind of a cycling back kind of full circle to what that was and we're really just playing out what we've done historically with, um, with historic neighborhoods uh, with the new zoning codes. And so we have to do better in terms of engaging our communities so that they are driven, that our, our processes and our policies at a city level are driven by our communities in a lot of ways.
7: Well, let me let me play devil's advocate for one minute. You know, there are people who will say, well, if you want to be involved, be involved. You know, go to the meeting, do the thing. What's what's wrong with that idea?
9: So I'm glad you asked that question because. Good point. Community engagement, whenever we hear about community engagement, everyone always says it's so difficult. But the truth is, it doesn't have to be. But one of the reasons why we create all these weird artificial barriers. So, for instance, whenever we create Um, ads uh, for public meetings, they usually go out in a small little ad in the back of the newspaper and who reads newspapers anymore, unfortunately? (laughs) So I mean, I know I still do too, but they're usually in small little ads with small little print in the back of a paper and no one's gonna go for that. And so, and oftentimes the language is prohibitive, it's exclusive, and it's a little dull. Um, So I'll use an example. So St. Paul, Minneapolis did this pop-up meeting to get their community involved in a project uh, and they utilized... uh, the traditional form where they put a ba- an ad in the back of the paper and asked for three questions for a project. And then they refurbished a Popsicle truck and said, we're going to ask the same three questions and send out a free, you get a free Popsicle if you answer those questions. You can guess which one fared better.
7: Well, I'll answer three questions for it's a Poletta any day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
9: So it doesn't have to be that difficult. It, you know, and, and uh, we mentioned this it, earlier, like you can you can put ads in your, or, or questions in your property taxes, you can partner with the, certain agencies to make it a little bit more.
1: If and so. the city and just, wants to, I'm sorry, if, if the city wants to really engage the community and not repeat the mistakes of the past. They've got to take the time to do it. So you either do the work on the front end, or you deal with all the stuff that falls out on the back end. So we encourage them early on in the process how to reach out to community. We do organizing in our community, so we kind of know how to reach out. And it can't be that little ad in the back of the paper. Meetings have to be held at a time when people who cannot come have the privilege to come to a meeting at noon, or to come to a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning, they can't do it. And then, and then sometimes meetings held outside of their own area. Uh, no provisions for daycare, for child support, or anything like that. So if we really wanna be a city that cares, and a city and we're one Albuquerque, I really would like to see us act like one Albuquerque, act like a family, inform each other. Let's. We're not gonna agree on everything. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't tackle those difficult subjects and try to be the best that we can be at what we do.
6: And I just want to jump in here real quick, too, because I think it's about racial equity. That's why we're here today, right? Um, because the city's own data through the development of the Comprehensive Plan and the new zoning codes, the IDO, the Integrated Development Ordinance, their own data shows that the participation rates of Hispanics was and Latinos and Chicanos was far befo- below their population rates in the city of Albuquerque, and that could be said of Asian Pacific Islanders, African Americans, and Native Americans. They had an event at the tra- uh, community meeting at the Tractor Brewery where there was zero percent participation from Native youth. Now, I don't know of any event <laughs> I've ever heard of at the Tractor Brewery where there's zero percent Native American participation. So they should have worked yeah. harder. Well they well they should I think what they should have done and engaged community leaders like ourselves and others on how to do effective community outreach. And also since we're talking about zoning codes, which you're dealing with laws, right, and the uses that are allowed on your property or community property, we recommended several things. One, send out notification within the county assessors bill that we all get twice a year to send out notification in our utilities bill because not only will you capture homeowners, but you'll also capture renters. renters. Mm -hmm. You do it for the um, Summerfest, and they told us the city told us that it was too expensive to do that. We found out later on, it would have only cost them $900 for them to do that. That's how much that ad is in the in the paper. So the reality is, by them not doing that, by not notifying us as, as property owners, you're perpetuating the history of the United States in terms of manifest de- destiny, and not providing us as Chicanos, Mexicanos, Native Americans, people of color, the opportunity to have a say in our land and what the future looks like for our communities.
1: Well, these are institutional practices. Yeah, that we've been pointing out to the city if we're gonna make a change we have to start somewhere and we need to start that now
7: we we have just a few minutes left on it, and I want to take your point into consideration and and acknowledge that there's a struggle there between honoring people in these communities and engaging them and respecting them and this parallel track of trying to um, very quickly demonstrate uh, economic development right. and and what looks like improvement. You know, I lived downtown for 20 years. I still own a house there kind of between Wells Park and Martinez Town. Um, and I know that people probably drive through my neighborhood on my block and say, man, I wish they gentrify this, <laughs> you know. I think um, to outsiders, it probably looks like a neighborhood that needs um, development. So. You know, are we saying that gentrification is the problem here, or could um, economic development be done right, and what does that look like?
6: we're not talking at what we're talking about is racial inequities we're talking about a history of racism within planning and zoning in the United States specifically being perpetuated in New Mexico and the city of Albuquerque now i don't think anyone is against economic development all of us have been wanting it's about our communities um, from wells park to martinez town to san jose to south broadway are seeing the least amount of investment from an infrastructure perspective right and we're seeing the least amount of protections cuz if you look at the country club area they're not going to be leaving near a Superfund site like I am in Wells Park because of the way that they're zoned. So it's about what communities are protected and what communities aren't, which ones get investments and which ones don't so that they can pursue economic development.
8: And i like to say how crazy the city looks at things. You know, they came and said, Well, we want walkability in your neighborhoods. We had walkability in Martinez Town. We didn't own cars. A few of us owned them. And what they did was they widened Lomas. They opened up Odilio, where homes were established there. And then we had grocery stores next to us. We had five. We named them by first name. And those owners lived in the neighborhood. So they were invested in that neighborhood. We would go to Dan's stores or to Manuez or to... Uh, uh, our chuletas uh, down on Mountain and Broadway to get whatever needs we needed, right? So how does it benefit us when you're talking about economic development? We want those little grocery stores that we can walk to. We want the barbershop, the hairstylist that we can walk to. So we're telling the mayor now, our neighborhood is saying, Mayor, we want to meet with you. We want that property on Lomas and Broadway, and we want to show you how to develop it so that it meets our needs. That's what we're seeing. That's we right. have just
7: one minute left, and, and I want to ask you guys, if there are people watching who are like, wow, this is the first I've heard of this, and, and I live there, and I want to get involved. Like, how do they connect with folks in their neighbor, in their neighborhood? If they're new, or if they just haven't been paying attention, how do people find you?
9: Connect with HNA, uh, Historic Neighbors Alliance on Facebook. Um, we are currently looking for uh, donations for our legal suit with with the city at this point, um, and I'll also say too, just just to get on this close this point around what it looks like. Like we have to close the racial equity gap in our in our city, in our state, and it means that we have to talk about more inclusive zoning and more inclusive economic development. And if we were to close that, we could actually see some serious economic outputs. So Michigan is trying to work on that. They look to obtain 92 billion dollars in economic outputs by 2050, and 4 billion of that is going to be spent on housing. That's a lot of houses. And so, if we were actually to look at that here and envision a a more inclusive city, then we can actually see the same kind of economic outputs here in Albuquerque.
7: I want to thank you all so much for being with us today to talk to us about this. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
9: We should mention
0: Robert Nelson, who was part of that conversation about Albuquerque's zoning policies, is running for city council next week. We specifically invited him here to talk about zoning issues, though, and not his campaign. TIME NOW TO WRAP THINGS UP FOR THE WEEK WITH OUR LINE PANELISTS. THE CHALLENGE IS A BIG ONE FOR GOVERNOR MICHELLE LUJAN-GRISHAM, BUT IT'S NOT A NEW ONE. HOW DO WE AS A STATE DIVERSIFY OUR ECONOMY AND PROTECT OUR ENVIRONMENT WHILE ALSO RELYING ON ALL THE MONEY THAT COMES FROM THE OIL AND GAS INDUSTRY TO OUR STATE? THAT TIGHTROPE IS EVEN NARROWER THESE DAYS AS WE EXPERIENCE A NEW OIL AND GAS BOOM IN THE Permian BASIN, WHICH IS LEADING TO RECORD BUDGET SURPLUSES HERE, AND THOSE BUDGET SURPLUSES WOULD HELP PAY FOR SOME OF HER BIGGEST INITIATIVES like the governor's plan to offer free tuition to almost all college students. and Laura, would you describe her approach so far as trying to thread a needle, more like trying to have her cake and eat it too? or There's got to be some cliché here that's appropriate. I'm not quite sure what it is, but like I said, it's not new to try to make Uh this balancing act. How's she doing on this so far?
5: Well, I mean, it's new for her. I mean, she's in a new position, and so I think that um, I'm glad that any governor looks at this issue as Mm -hmm. something that's important. so we have to diversify our economy. It, we're completely dependent on right. oil and gas and extractive industries. And that that's means right. that when they're up, we're up. And when they're yeah. down, we're, you know, the state's that's right. down. That's, and that's right. not good. So we have to figure out how to diversify it. That being said, though, I mean, the oil and gas boom is real. It's it's definitely having a huge impact mm-hmm. uh, to communities in Southeast New Mexico, as well as the Farmington area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also having some very real consequences. I mean, I used to travel down there quite a bit um, monthly and, uh, I would pay more for a hotel in Carlsbad than I would right now for a hotel in San Francisco. That's a problem, think about um, that. especially yeah, for people who can't. I mean, the cost of living is so oh, high because right. of this right. that a lot of people who just you know work at a hotel have to have multiple jobs to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so there's real consequences. Not everybody is, um, is making money from their own gas boom. Mm-hmm. Now, local communities um, tend to be a little bit more flush if they're responsible with their budgeting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the governor's office, it's definitely a challenge that it's an important one to, to address. It's a, an important one to, to have a conversation on. Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical about whether anything can happen in this next session because it's um, it's just such a huge issue. Yeah, it is. um, yeah. But I also think that the tuition, uh, the free tuition issue is is an interesting one because while you know we all support education, mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a segment of the population that doesn't feel like it should be tied to oil and gas. Right. I mean, there's something that just sort of doesn't make sense. I'm,
0: gonna ask, I'm gonna ask Tom to pick up on that. That's an interesting point Laura just made that a lot of younger people, students, are feeling like that's not quite the way to get free tuition because that's not free. They consider that not free money, basically. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of the pre-reads that we had before uh, t- today's episode, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was NBC News, had an article that raised the question of, you know, it's an enormous uh, moral question. Uh, you know, does, you know, having free tuition at the expense of what some would think of the right. environment, uh, justify that free education? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, th- those are things people definitely need to weigh. I think the other thing that, uh, the industry itself, as for the, as far as oil and gas needs to weigh, is how do they bridge that gap of relevancy outside of the energy producing areas? Mm. Uh, because that's probably the biggest challenge that they have right now, is creating that relevancy in northern New Mexico, in the Albuquerque mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. Uh, you know they are, you know, really creating these huge, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a tremendous economic impact, and is it short lived? Is it long lived? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, w- that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, how do you create that relevancy with from the
0: industry with New Mexico residents? And I think that's the biggest challenge the oil and gas industry has right now. Interesting point there. You know, Julianne, uh, the governor recently spoke at a conference for the oil and gas leaders in. You know, there were a lot of niceties put out there. She wants to work with the industry on some things. But there are some challenges, particularly on the environmental side, which the governor has been very strong on, and particularly fracking, and how we get, you know, some, some handle on this. Again, the threading of the needle thing here. Can she actually talk with these people and come to some kind of middle ground?
2: She's got an odd balance that yeah. she needs to keep here, you know, and I think that the... Um the forward looking thought here that that many people are trying to keep in mind is you know while we have this money while we're in the boom mm-hmm. what can we do to reduce dependence on it in the future. Mm. You know, the word diversify um, is one that comes up a lot, you know, but this idea that um, how do we take the big activity that's happening now and how do we leverage it, you know, for the future? I think another issue that's really important that maybe doesn't get as much play right now is the issue of accountability within Mm -hmm. New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only are we dealing with trying to get some responsibility from the extractive industries on methane capture Um, But we're dealing with, um, you know, on the the oil extraction side, um, our oil and gas conservation division has not been able to um, have very much teeth in its regulations. They haven't really been able to hold the industry um, as accountable as I think a lot of people would like to see. Certainly not as accountable as the environmental advocates would like to see. Mm -hmm. And so how do we spend the money as a state? Um, How do we regulate this industry moving forward in a way that seems like it's going to create the best future Mm -hmm. for? those kids that are going to get free college from oil and gas? Mm-hmm. I think that's the big question.
0: Mm. You know, Julianne mentioned the, the administration here is at odds with the, NAS- the federal administration about methane gas rules, the fracking thing. I mean, these are big issues, Michael. Huge, huge, huge issues. But the governor on her side fairly has, on her side of the, uh, the deal, she has the research uh, available. She has R&D available? She could meet industry halfway here, it seems to me, especially on the fracking produced water thing. To say, how do we deal with this and spin this water? There's a lot of pushback on that, but you know, there's got to be a tech solution she could help bring to the table here, it would seem to me.
3: Well, I want to start with a comment that Tom made that, mm-hmm. first of all, nothing is free. Right. There's, there's a cost to everything you do. Is that what the students need to hear?
0: Well, There's no free money out there? Well,
3: I, I think we all need to remember <laughs> right. that, not just the students, but nothing right. is really free. There are costs associated with everything, every decision, mm-hmm. and, and the question is who benefits and, and, and at what cost. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to read something just to offer mm-hmm. a little p- perspective. The University of New Mexico Research, and good to UNM, finds uranium and women in Babies. federally funded research from the University of New Mexico recently found that more than 25 percent of adult female study participants plus some infants have radioactive uranium present in their bodies for decades uranium ore was harvested from Navajo lands leading to even more decades of pain and illness. Mm-hmm. There are consequences and I'm not saying this is fracking is the same thing mm-hmm. but what, I'm sa- what I would say is that we need to recognize again that, um, that there is a cost and a benefit, and, and we need to be uh, real, demonstrate some wisdom mm-hmm. and in terms of recognizing that we are in a desert state, um, and uh, water is precious, mm-hmm. um, and uh, given global warming that is occurring. It, it it what from what I've seen in some of the studies about New Mexico, it's only going to get worse That's here right. in New Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we really need to uh, have a conversation. It's, it's 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 more than just who. It's more than just dollars and cents. It's more. It's it's really about um, um, being good stewards for the land mm-hmm. and 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 the resources we have, as well as as really um, trying to figure out what is in the best interest of the citizens of the state of New Mexico for the long term, not just the short term. That's right. The short term's easy.
0: That's right. That gets to Julianne's point about the money, take the money as we have it, Laura, and just use it to spin into something else, some new world. But I want to stay on this produced water thing here for a quick second, because our environment department, New Mexico environment department, has announced actually just last week they want to start, seen some activity on this, and I know Los Alamos had some activity a few years ago about how to, how to re-spin uh, uh, produced water from fracking, but a lot of farmers don't want anything to do mm. with this. Mm-hmm. They consider it to be ruinous for Albuquerque. am sorry, for New Mexico's reputation mm-hmm. if we're using produced water to grow crops. Okay. So you see the dilemma here? We need some kind of big fix here in order for industry to get their needs met and for environmentalists to get their needs met as well. It's a tough, tough play here.
5: It is. I mean, mm-hmm. this issue is, um, it's not new. I mean, this is something that's been happening for a long time, right. but I think that um, there's a recognition that there's more urgency. I mean, that's we're right. definitely not, you know, we're a dry state. We have um, water table issues mm-hmm. where, you know, it's always going to be a problem. And so um, there is, a, I think, a desire to try to come up with some solution there. Mm-hmm. But I understand what the farmers are talking about, mm-hmm. and, you know, back to what uh, what Michael was saying. Um, we don't know what the effects are long-term of that. And, um, and, you know, even though you may have a technology that says, you know, this is what it's, It's safe. You can use it. You really don't know until you've had generations. And we've
0: had quotes from the Environment Department saying they want science to lead the way here, not not folklore. Exactly right. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you all for your research and thoughtful opinions, certainly. And don't forget, you can find out more about our panelists each week and get behind the scenes access by checking out our new Instagram page. Just search for NM In Focus. Thanks again for joining us and for staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus.
1: Funding for New Mexico and Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you.